Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Surprise, it's me again. Hey, thanks for uh, getting out in the rain and the cold. It's been warm and now it's chilly and I love it. Amen. Hey, this morning, uh, I want to preface the message that uh, all of the, my illustration to open and close, all of the quotes that I'm going to put up on the screen today, uh, they're all from dead guys. And there's, there's, yes, amen. I mean, there's a point to that is because I, I want us to listen today and really to every sermon with the perspective of that every single one of us uh, in a not so distant day will be dead guys. And how we listen to these sermons uh, and how you listen to other teachings and how you spend your time in the word should be done with the perspective that one day I, will, I too will be a dead person. And how I apply these to my life genuinely matters. Uh, not just today, but for tomorrow and for the rest of my life and into eternity because dead people still have a lot to teach us because of how they applied this word uh, to their life. Amen. So, Thomas Johnson... One of my favorite guys, he was born into slavery in 1836. He grew up on a plantation outside of Fairfax, Virginia, and knew nothing but the life of a slave his entire life. But there was one man, a man named Ezekiel, who really took Thomas under his wing, helped him grow to be a man. Thomas knew that something was different about Ezekiel, but he could never really figure it out. Ezekiel talked about the Lord, and he talked about uh, biblical-type things, but Thomas didn't understand. A life of slavery from childhood up, uh, he didn't get it, because he saw the evil that was around him. But one night, now as a grown man, Thomas heard a rustle around midnight outside of his little living quarters, and he saw a flicker of light go by. No way, he thought. The foreman issues no passes to get out into the area to any slaves, unless maybe a woman who is about to give birth. However, he was convinced that he did see a flicker of light, so he thought he would run to Ezekiel's living quarters to see if he knew what was going on. So he mustered the courage, and he got out of his, his little home, and he ran over to Ezekiel's, and he peered in the window, but he saw nothing. Yet he felt like he was hearing something. His eyes started to adjust, and he realized that there were people in there, and they were singing in whispers, gathered in a circle. Ezekiel spotted him through the window and waved for him to come in. Thomas sat down and listened to them singing a sweet song about coming home to Jesus. Then Ezekiel began to speak. He spoke about how man can never steal your soul, how the good news tells them that they are truly free. Ezekiel continued, and I quote, Jesus sets slaves like us free. He may not take away the chains from our hands or feet. He may never let us off of this plantation, but Jesus will do something even better than that. He will take the chains from our hearts. That he will do. Thomas burst into tears with the simplicity of this joyous news. He now understood why Ezekiel had insisted to the foreman to take Thomas's lashes for him. He now understood how so many on the plantation kept their joy in their soul, even through the worst of days. He placed his trust in Jesus that night for the forgiveness of his sins, and he knew what peace and love truly meant for the first time. 
Thomas would sleep well that night for the first time in his life because he was transformed. He had been amongst a people, a church, a transformed people and church, as small as it may have been. And he began to live a transformed life with them, even in the worst of situations. And I tell this story because I think this is what Paul is getting at in our text today. Because transformed lives result in a transformed church, no matter the affliction or persecution around them. And we'll see that in our text. And I think it's important for us to remember where we were, where we are in the text, and keep in step with Paul's train of thought. It took Paul 11 chapters to get to verses 1 and 2 that Tim preached on a few weeks ago. That we're living sacrifices, always on the altar before the Lord. We are holy people. We are transformed We have renewed minds. We know God's perfect will. And because of that, like we talked about last week, we're humble. We're very, very, very gifted. We're one body, unified in Christ. So verses 1 and 2 were about the individual. Verses 3 through 8 were about all of us individuals making up one body and how that body is to function and to grow in its giftings as a church. And now Paul is going to zoom way out. He's going to zoom out to how the church acts towards one another and acts towards the world. And as these are commands for the church, if you are a believer in here today, rest assured they are commands for you. So in my personal study of this text, I saw 26 commands that can be taken from the text and applied to our lives However, to the dismay of checklist people, I don't know how to write a 26-point sermon that's less than four hours long. So we're just going to highlight a few of the commands and then kind of roll some of the others in underneath them. So just three points today, amen. So these three points, amen. These three points are going to highlight for us these three things, how these verses show that the transformed church is a loving church, how the transformed church is a peaceful church, and how the transformed church is a conquering church. We'll see that the transformed church that loves and trusts God is the church that conquers. So let's read Romans 12, 9 through 21. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God for his favor over our time, and we'll grow in the knowledge of his word together. Romans 12, 9 through 21. I'm reading from the CSB. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Let's, let us pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and submit the next 30 plus minutes to you humbly. God, for you are king, you are creator, you are sustainer, you are the reason, Jesus, that we even come to meet. So Lord, I ask for your favor over this time as we look in your scriptures, God, would you teach us? Would you cut bone from marrow? Would you encourage us? Would you allow us to be, God, a transformed church that transforms communities and transforms the world? We submit this time to you, Lord. I ask that everything that I say that is not from you, God, as always, falls on completely deaf ears. Lord, what is from you cuts to the heart that we change our lives and we live in accordance with your will, your perfect and pleasing will. Lord, we love you. Please be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A transformed church is a loving church. So we're going to spend some time in verse 9, and the reason for that is I believe it is an integral part of understanding the rest of this entire passage. So we're going to see in verse 9 that Paul leads off with a statement about love. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Now your translation might say, or rightly read, let love be genuine, or let love be sincere. This type of love is, is a pure love. It's just as it says, it's a genuine love. There's nothing fake about it. It's a type of love that close siblings have for one another. But I think that this is a hard type of love for us to understand at some times. We live in quite a land of superficialities, even sometimes within the church. And we must be careful to check our own heart continually. We ask ourselves, Do I harbor any ill feelings towards a brother or sister in Christ? Do I love those sitting around me right now with a genuine, supernatural, unhypocritical love? Remember how much we talked last week about humility and unity. In order to be humble and to be united, like we talked about last week, we must truly love one another deeply. A gospel-centered life has a laser focus on love. And a love that starts with loving God, the greatest command. And a love that moves out from there to loving the church. And as we'll see later in this text, a love that moves out from there to loving the world. But this isn't just the love that the world says is love. But rather, it's, it's a love that truly wants what's best for one another. Do we love one another to hold each other accountable to the holiness that we are called to in Scripture? Do we love one another to hold each other accountable to the affection for Jesus and adherence to His commands that He has given to us? As 19th century evangelist Robert Haldane, my favorite guy in the world, favorite dead guy anyway, Christians ought to be careful that they feel the sentiments and perform the actions which this love imports. If you say you love the church, you better mean you love the church. If you say you love the church, dare I say you better act 
like you love the church. With a genuine love, a sincere love. One that overflows because of the love that you've been shown in Jesus. And Paul follows this command for genuine love with a strong statement for Christians to detest evil and cling to what is good. We're still in verse 9, I know, and we're going to get out of here on time, family. Listen to the language that Paul uses here. He says, detest. Maybe some of your translations say abhor or hate. This is a far cry from a believer thinking, I want to abstain from sin and just try not to do it. No, I hate it. I detest it. I want to wage war against it in my life. I despise when I see it in my life and when I see it in the church and when I see it in the world. It's gross. I want to illustrate this for you guys in a little bit of a way. Show of hands, who in here loves pickles? Shame on all of you. (laughs) I hate pickles. Nothing on this planet ruins burgers and barbecue like pickles do for me. That's right. Now, I'm, I'm confessing something to you today here, church. I get so frustrated when I go to a barbecue joint, and for whatever reason that God only knows, they insist on putting so many pickles on your plate. So I ask up front, burn ends, no pickles, please. How does my plate come out? A mound of pickles. Not only with pickles, but with the pickle juice that always accompanies pickles. That juice that glides around your whole plate and it infects your french fries. And that sweet, white slice of bread that goes underneath your burnt ends. It ruins half my plate. And I hate it. But in a much, much more severe way. Paul's telling us to hate evil. We detest it, abhor it. Evil and sin are not just benign sitting on the plate. They glide around. They infect everything that they touch. It's disgusting. We're to hate it much more than I hate pickles. (laughs) Opposite of that detesting and hating, though, however, is that we are to cling to what is good. If we detest evil, we cling to what is good. Like a third monkey hanging on the side of Noah's ark, we cling with all of our strength. All right, amen. (laughs) As the psalmist wrote, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The Lord is good, church. I said the Lord is good, church. Amen, amen. We take refuge in his care. We love without hypocrisy. We cling to what is good. We love sincerely. We detest evil. We cling to good. And out of these three commands, we see a list of commands or exhortations by Paul Obviously, being one verse into our text so far, we don't have time to go through all of these, but I want to make a comment on most of them 
as we move to the next point. So look at your Bibles with me, if you will. Verse 10, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Why? Because of what we talked about last week and what we've talked about so far this week. We love sincerely without hypocrisy. We're one body united under Christ. Next one, outdo one another in showing honor. We're to hold each other up. As Philippians 2, 3 says, consider others as more important than yourselves. Continuing, do not lack diligence and zeal. Your translation might say slothful in zeal or lacking in zeal. As believers, we're to be a people that shine in all matters of life, whether that be in your workplace or in your ministry, because as we learned last week, all of us in here today have a ministry, giftings given by the Holy Spirit, or even just to spread the gospel, the glory of God, and the message of Jesus around the world. We're not sloths. We're zealous all the time. And this goes for seasoned Christians as well. I think we run the risk, the longer we're believers, of slipping into a comfortable Christianity. Where we think that young believers at times are over-enthusiastic or maybe naive about the world around them, that they need to tone it down a bit. This is a call to maintain your enthusiasm about Jesus, about salvation, and about God's glory. Zealousness for the king of the universe only increases with age, not decreases. And that leads to the very next phrase, be fervent in spirit. We must call on the Holy Spirit to spark us a glow. This isn't something that we will. It's something that he drives forth. As Ernst Caseman once said, according to Revelations 3.15, lukewarmness is the worst offense. If nothing burns, there can be no light. we got to burn, church. And when we do that, the next command, we serve the Lord. As the Prince of Peace, Prince of Preachers, excuse me, Charles Spurgeon said in one of his sermons on this verse, he says, we stand continually ready to obey the Lord's will in anything and everything without distinction. We cannot serve the Lord if we pick and choose our duties. Whatsoever Christ bids any of us in the future, we must unhesitatingly perform. We've got to be ready. The general has his commands, and we serve the Lord. We unhesitatingly perform the duties that he calls. Now I'm going to clump some of these together as we transition into the, the next point here, but rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. We beseech the Lord, right? We call on him to do what we cannot, which is a lot. He cares about everything that his church does, that his children do. We rejoice in the hope that we have in him. We can withstand all afflictions with him on our side, so we lift up our prayers to the throne. 
And as we continue and we read verses 13 through 16, we see many reoccurring themes from what we talked about last week and what we've talked about so far this week. So we'll read those. So verse 13, share with the saints in their needs and pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. And do not be wise. We talked about this last week in your own estimation. We're humble. But then in verse 17, Paul really shifts gears on us. And he, there's a couple of transitionary statements in verses 14 and 16. But here in verse 17 and following, Paul's talking about the church and how it interacts with the rest of the world. And one thing that we undoubtedly see here is that the church has peace. And we see that because a transformed church is a peaceful church. Now, everything that Paul has said thus far up to this point is the church interacting with one another, how it treats one another. But we're to be so loving, so transformed, that that love does not stop with us. We see in the second section here, 17 through 21, that focuses on the church's interactions with the rest of the world. And there's three do not imperatives from 17 to 21. And three positive actions that contrast those do nots. So we're going to look at those separately. So we'll do the do nots first. The first one, we do not repay anyone evil for evil. I mean, how could we? Remember that we hate evil. We detest evil. How can we who despise evil leave remnants of it in our hearts to dish out to others when they give it to us? We cannot do this, but many Christians today do it in the name of Jesus. And I think social media is an easy target for this. And as believers, we see many things that are evil that happen in the world around us. We see abortion. We see the attack on the biblical family structure by the sexual revolution. We see human trafficking. And we see much, much more. And time and time again, believers are finger screaming on their keyboards at broken people who do broken things. And you know what I mean by finger screaming, right? You can just, you can tell that their keyboard took a beating when they were typing out that post. How how is that love? What are we gaining by those type of interactions? Would it not be more Christ-like to sit down with someone and have a dialogue face-to-face that you can say things that are truthful and say them in love? These are important matters. And we're representing an important king. The second do not, verse 19, do not avenge yourselves. We have no footing to avenge ourselves. And I think that's what a lot of this stuff that we do in the name of Jesus that is pretty hateful is what we are actually doing is trying to avenge ourselves. But we do not hold the power or the right to dispense the wrath of God. For the judgment and punishment is held for all sin and all evil by God. Not by us. It is his prerogative to be the dispenser of wrath, not you and not me. 
Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 32, 35 here and Proverbs 25. But we also see in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, that the Lord will avenge the blood of his servants. God will avenge his people. We might think that we go through a lot, but it will not go uncounted for. God avenges his people. The third do not that we see is do not be conquered by evil. So look back at verse 9 with me really quickly, if you will. The verse opens with genuine love, an unhypocritical love. It moves to detesting evil. And then look at verse 10. What's that start again with? With love. It's bookend. This detesting of evil is bookend with love. And this entire section here is bookend with love and good. Detesting evil and conquering it. When we allow those around us to rob us of the love that has been placed in us by the Holy Spirit, we are conquered by evil. But evil has no reign in the heart of a believer. On the contrary, it's fought against by Paul's contrasting statements in this section. So there's three positive statements that we're going to look at. In verse 17 through 21, that fight against evil and display the character of the Lord through us to the world around us. So verse 17, believers, we act in a way that is honorable. Far be it from any one of us to bring dishonor or scourge on the good news of the gospel of Jesus. We live lives of honor that people look at highly. Verse 18, believers are to live at peace with others. We live lives of honor and we live at peace with others. We live at peace with everyone that we can in every circumstance. Now there's obviously, as Paul states here, exceptions to that. So in these instances, we move as far to the middle as we possibly can to meet those that don't know truth. As theologian John Stott put it, sometimes other people either are not willing to live at peace with us or lay down a condition for reconciliation which would involve an unacceptable moral compromise. Because God's commands are always in agreement. So we must abhor evil, yet we live at peace. So how do we do both of those? We hate evil, but we live at peace. Sometimes those things don't match up. But may it never be because you did not go all the way that you could with the hand of peace. A transformed church is a conquering church. If we live lives that are in accordance with the totality of this letter and we adhere to the commands that have been set forth by these verses, we will inevitably accomplish what verse 21 tells us, to be a conquering church, to conquer evil with good. For look at what has happened from the beginning of the book up until this point. Right? Those that are in Jesus are completely changed. Remember where we started in, verse 12, or in chapter 12 again. I keep referencing that every week because I think those two verses are so important. It's why we spent two weeks on them. In light of all of Romans, we are to be living sacrifices on the altar at all times. 
We are not conformed to the world, but we are transformed by the truth that we know. Not only that, we detest evil. We detest evil that is within this broken creation and within lives around us, yet we cling to what is good and we love our enemies because God is our avenger. So look at the contrast of who you were, who I was before Jesus, and who you are now if you know Jesus and you follow him with your life, if you are that living sacrifice on the altar Remember all the way back in January, chapter 1, who we are without Jesus, heartless, approving of evildoers, we're God-haters, we're arrogant and boastful, we're quarrelsome, we're full of malice. But by the power of the Holy Spirit through salvation found in Christ, you who are saved are now the complete complete opposite of that, transformed. You're loving. You hate evil. You serve the Lord. You're not proud or conceited. You're peaceful, never repaying with evil. And look at the sharp contrast here at who we are without Christ and who we are with Him. Polar opposites. New creation, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. This is because you were made new by the one who embodies all of these loving traits perfectly. You've been transformed. So what do you do? You conquer evil with good. There's only one way that evil has been most conquered. Through all the suffering and the brokenness and the evil things that we see in the world today and we've been seeing for millennia, only one thing has fully conquered them all. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think some Christians and some churches today don't think that. I think that they think that it's with social justice. And I think that social justice is absolutely great. I think it is absolutely necessary. I think the church is absolutely called to it and that we are to do it. But when social justice becomes the focus instead of the gospel, you've lost all focus on what truly conquers evil. It's the gospel that sets free. It is only because Jesus said, it is finished. That's what brings life. And we lead with this, and we do social justice. We don't tack on the gospel at the end or hope someone will come along and say it without us. People need the gospel. And we need to share it. We are to love the church. Yes, we are. We've spent two weeks talking about that. And believers definitely need to be reminded of the gospel just as much as anyone on a daily basis. But when we go to our Christian church and we go to the Christian coffee shop and we put our kids in Christian sports leagues, who are we going to share with? Absolutely none of these things is wrong at all. But when they make up the totality of your involvement in the world, there is something wrong with that. 
Living at peace with the world does not mean secluding yourself from it. It leaves little wonder that the average believer explicitly shares the gospel so that someone else can hear and believe and be saved once every 26 years. Jesus gave food and water, but he came to save sinners. Jesus fought for the poor and needy, but he came to evangelize the people. It was Jesus who walked the streets and loved people with the perfect love. It was Jesus who ate with sinners. It was Jesus who gave to those in need. It was Jesus who was innocent but went to the slaughter. It was Jesus who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was Jesus who did not return evil for evil but died for your sake. And it is Jesus who makes it possible for you to do the same. He has done this for you, and he continues to lead you in it. He drives love deep down into your veins. It's who you are. It's who all of his children are. Paul, Polycarp, Perpetua, John Wycliffe, John Huss, William Carey, Esther John, Jim Elliot, a host of heavenly dead people that have gone before you and have gone before us and they loved God and they loved their neighbor even if their neighbor was their enemy. They knew Christ's love and it transformed them and they conquered evil with good. Romans 8, 35 Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Answer, no one. Romans 8, 37, we are more than conquerors. We should let his love reign in our heart and shine through us, through his church, and to the world around us. Because unmistakably, we see that the transformed church that loves and trusts God is the church that conquers. It conquers. It conquers in love, and it conquers evil with good. So Brian and the worship team, wherever you guys are at, you can make your way up here slowly. Somehow I got through my papers a lot faster today than I did when I was going through them. When this happens in your life, and when you apply what we've talked about today, God does things that only God can do. April 1865, Thomas Johnson and Ezekiel were out serving their master, Mr. Bennett, on the battlefields of Virginia. But they watched from a hilltop as the capital city of Richmond fell. Fell to the north to end slavery. And they screamed with joy. For they were now, for the first time in their lives, free men. The first thing they wanted to do was go back to the plantation and tell the others about this good news. And they rode like lightning bolts to get back and embrace their brothers and sisters in the Lord. And when they returned, it seemed that the news had gone before them. No one was left on Mr. Bennett's plantation. Thomas and Ezekiel looked through the slave homes. They looked out in the field. 
They couldn't find anyone. So they ran into the big house. Maybe somebody went in there for the first time ever. And to their surprise, they didn't see anybody. But they heard something. Upstairs, crying. They made their way up the stairs and they turned the corner into the room where they heard tears. It was Mrs. Bennett, the woman who had stood on her front porch for years and watched as these men got whipped almost to death. Mr. Bennett had fled the plantation and left her there with it to suffer the consequences that may come, only worried about himself. But when these men came in the door, she jumped up and pointed that double barrel shotgun at them and she screamed for them to leave and she was terrified. But Ezekiel put up his hands and he said, Mrs. Bennett, we don't mean you no harm, ma'am. And at that, she broke down and she burst into tears and collapsed on the floor and Thomas ran and grabbed her. And I can't say this any better. This is a biography of Thomas Johnson, so I'm going to read this to you as we close. Ezekiel, still standing near the door of the bedroom, slowly moved towards Thomas and Mrs. Bennett as the scene of a master and her slave, arms wrapped around each other in familial love, played out before this old man's eyes, a mixture of fear and resolve filled him. He gently crouched on the floor next to Thomas and Mrs. Bennett, laid his old and tired hands on the woman's arm, and lowered his head, and he began to pray. Fear no longer held her face, only sadness, and she trembled as she listened to Ezekiel pray. Dear Father, I pray now for Mrs. Bennett, and I pray that in these trying days that you would protect her. You would watch over her, and you would give her peace. And Lord, I forgive And Ezekiel choked on his words, but he did the best to push them forward. I forgive Mr. Bennett. And I forgive Mrs. Bennett. I pray that above all else, Lord, that she would turn to know you and your forgiveness too. And I pray that she would call on you as helper, as her heavenly father. We ask these things now of you, Lord, in the name of mighty Jesus. Amen. This love is the love of Jesus. This love, to want to tell believers about this love. This love that we want to give it away to unbelievers, this love. Even if it's to those who have scourged you the worst, this love. The love that only comes through transformed people that make up a transformed church. I praise God that we know this love. And I pray that we are a transformed church with this love. And won't it be displayed through LCF to liberty and to the world? I want you to ponder this truth as we stand up and sing together. And I have one story that I want to share with you guys as we release. It's about an alive guy. Uh, so I got to have coffee with this gentleman Friday night for about two hours. Uh, he was in the Middle East uh, helping churches get planted and helping equip pastors to do the ministry of the Lord. And he was captured by Al-Qaeda, held for 18 months. 
For those 18 months, the first seven of those months, every single day he shared the gospel with his captors, whether it was buttstocks to the face, going without food. He shared the gospel with his captors every day, seven months. And when some of them would go through something hard in their life, they would come to him for counsel. And he would, he would talk to them and pray with them and do good with them. This man conquered evil with good because he's a transformed man. And I think sometimes we might think of someone like him, if I was captured by Al-Qaeda, what would I do? Would I share the gospel every day for seven months? We think of him as a super Christian or something. But I think when we see in Scripture that he's a normal Christian. According to the Bible, he's a normal Christian. So I want to encourage us to be a transformed church and to go out this week and be normal Christians. Amen? Amen. 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 You guys have a good week. We'll see you next week.